Welcome to the Carl Reader Show. So today on the Be Your Own Boss show, I'm delighted to be joined by the author of Influence, Warren Cass. Warren, welcome. Thank you for having me, Carl. Great to be here. Excellent. So, Warren, tell, tell me a bit about yourself. Who is Warren Cass? Well, before I do that, I must let uh, listeners in on a little secret here. Well, Carl and I have known each other for a little while, and we've just come from Nando's, where we had <laughs> a pre-podcast lunch and a bit of a catch-up. So, uh, you know, what you can't smell here is the chicken in the studio. G- Warren, <laughs> you're, you're shattering the illusion that I don't know you, and I'm genuinely interested to hear about who you are. You can be interested at the same time, but let's let's do authentic, shall we? Excellent. <laughs> So who is Warren Cass? Well, Warren is very full up on Nando's, but um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a speaker and an author and an entrepreneur, and uh, I'm, I'm involved in several businesses, but for the, the last 12, 18 months following the release of my book, Influence, um, I've been doing a lot of kind of leadership talks um, in several different countries and, and really enjoyed my last couple of years, actually. Fantastic. So Warren, what I want to do today and what I really want to get out of this episode is to understand more about influence because we all know of influence and we might have read the book, Joe, um, Robert Cialdini Influence, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a subject that we're all aware of as business owners or prospective business owners that we should be doing something about. But first of all, let's actually define what influence is. In your eyes, what, what do you believe influence is? So it's great that you bring up the proved, tried and tested, fantastic, multi-million selling copies, uh, books in uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People and The Psychology of Persuasion by Cialdini. They're both great books. Uh, but one of them was written in the 1980s. One of them was written in the 1930s. And of course, since then, we've had a whole digital revolution. So thinking has changed. The way we communicate has fundamentally changed. And I believe uh, society's fundamentally changed. We've now, for the first time ever, got five generations in the workforce that we never had before, all with a different experience and relationship with technology. Um, so influence and the way we communicate has changed dramatically, and it means different things to different people. Um, and to break it down, you know, it's it's something which we are all impacted by every single day because it's such a broad topic. We're all influenced from the moment we wake up in the morning to the moment we sleep, whether it's the the mood our partner's in when we when we rise out of bed to the, uh, the, the all the thousands of marketing messages we receive throughout the day or. Uh, you know the micro expression that we might uh, witness on a tube or on a on a commute which can impact our mood uh, i mean it's been absolutely proven that if we witness an act of kindness for the hours that follow we're more likely to be kind ourselves we're that suggestible and empathetic as creatures so influence happens in so many different shapes and forms and of course some people will influence through through wealth some Mm. people will influence through uh, fantastic networks Uh, some it might be positions of power Um, some just from effective communication the, and the time they take to actually really relate to people and get on with people. Sure. So, so, so it's a broad topic and it can mean lots and lots of different hmm. things. I, I, and I've got a question because, well, then, look, we've known each other for years and, you know, you, you're a pretty well-networked guy. And yes, I have done my homework. I've read your book. Uh, you started out with nightclub promoting and so on. Obviously, influence seems to be something that could come quite naturally to you. Is it something that actually can be taught, or do you believe it's something that you have inherently within yourself? Um, uh, a bit of both. So I, I think, uh, you know, for anybody who's ever done a psychometric profile test, will know that there are certain traits or certain uh, personality types 
that will have a, a will be predisposed to relationships and people and caring and all of those types of things. We've got introverts and extroverts and all of those you know kind of things. So it it stands to reason that certain personality types are always going to be a little bit more expressive, a little bit more relatable, and find it easier to communicate. Of course. Uh, but uh, like most things in life, you know, we are products of our environment and we can all learn to be better communicators. Just small little things can, uh, and so that starts with awareness, uh, but small little things can make us all more effective as communicators. So uh, a bit of both, um, sure. but it doesn't stop anybody from getting better. Uh, the, the problem with psychometric profile tests is so many people actually look at them and use it as a badge to say, this is, I'm not very good at this, so I don't need to try. Yes. And, uh, of course, I see the opposite. I, I, I'm guilty about myself yeah of course yeah. Uh, we all are if we're honest and human um but the the, the point of it really is is that the, it what it does is it exposes lots of opportunities to better ourselves brilliant and commu- communication is so intrinsic to everything that we do family friends colleagues suppliers customers whatever it might be the, the better we can the more effective we can communicate and relate to people the more chance of success and happiness we'll have in our lives fantastic so on the basis but it is teachable and that you know, some of us might be um, naturally predisposed to finding influencing others a bit easier, but but actually any of us can learn. Um, how about you give us one tip, one tip that the listeners can take away that they can use in their day-to-day life to improve their influence over others? Okay, so my, a definition of influence I like to use is influence is about affecting an outcome without having to force it. Sure. Um, so in any any conversation, whether you're persuading a teenage child to, to do something or whether you're uh, trying to win a customer, it, you're trying to affect an outcome, essentially. And the one thing which I, I greatly believe about communication, the best communicators I've ever met in my life, uh, it's never been about them. It's always been about the other person. So if uh, if one tip, if there was only one thing from this uh, that I'd be asking people to take away is to understand that uh, communication is never about them. It's always about how the information's being received, not how it's not how it's being delivered, or more importantly, what it what that information means to them as opposed to what it means to you. Um, for anybody who's ever done something like uh, NLP, for example. Uh, there's a, a communication model which I think is very effective and it talks about people's maps of reality. So your map of reality could be completely different to mine. We might use the same words, but they can have different meanings. And so the way this is explained is uh, a, a very good friend of mine was doing some coaching recently. and uh, She was f- uh, coaching a female executive who had just been promoted and was uh, being asked to do more and more uh, boardroom um, talks um, or speeches to the industry and she was uh, nervous about standing up in front of big crowds of people so um, you know it was suggested we need to work on your confidence and the response was oh I don't want to work on my I don't want to be more confident okay and and, and when questioned um, she said I don't want to come across as arrogant so in her map of reality the word confidence equaled arrogance and if you had made that that assumption up, up front, you may not have got anywhere. All I'm saying is for lots of different people, the way that they use words, uh, it's basically about their personal experiences, what, what things mean to them. And by understanding that first, you've got 
far more uh, possibilities when it comes to persuading them to actually do anything. Sure, and it's um, yeah, it's actually remarkable when you talk about the power of words. I think back to Tony Robbins. Now, I'm sure you've read Tony Robbins's books and um, the lists of empowering and disempowering words and so on. It's amazing that the uh, just the sheer level of impact that they can have. Now, I'd like to touch a little bit on the difference between business influence and personal influence. Um, obviously, there's a rise of personal branding at the moment. You know, let's be honest, we're not going to beat about the bush here. The reason I'm doing this podcast is part of a personal branding exercise to ultimately help benefit my business at some point in the future. Um, First of all, do you feel that's the route that business owners should go down? Not necessarily. I think people should should, uh, find uh, routes that are authentic for them. Sure. Um, You know, it's it's the old thing of forcing square pegs into round holes. If you're coming back to personality types, if you're highly introvert, uh, academic, uh, shy, um, doesn't particularly <laughs> like being around people, then perhaps thought leadership and personal brand isn't necessarily for you. That said, you know, uh, you can think of examples across the full spectrum of, of personalities of people who have got recognition sure. as thought leaders. Um, so building personal brand uh, and building a business brand, they still have the essential same building blocks. Okay. Okay. Say something worthy of saying. Find the channels to get it to. Understand who your audience is and the problems you solve for those audience for that audience. Sorry. And uh, and then how do you reach them? So you you know it's the same essential principles. Um, but thought leadership is something which um, immediately gives authority. Uh, and you know, there's a whole trust equation before people will actually do do business with you, whether you're a, a brand or whether you're a person. But recent research has shown that um, for the for the bigger brands looking to spend money, it's the people that have given them thought leadership at the beginning of that process of the what being the ones that have really molded the, uh, the requirements in the first place. Sure. Um, so there's a real advantage to delivering thought leadership and com- coming at uh, problems with a view to. Uh, to helping your potential marketplace because you will actually mould their requirements in the first place by, by offering that thought leadership. And there's an authority that comes from running a podcast, speaking on a stage, writing a book, whatever it might be. Uh, so there's there's obvious advantages for being the authority in your field. Brilliant. Okay. And in terms of the, um, the do's and don'ts, I imagine that you would probably agree, I, I, I don't know for sure, but but there are some differences in the way that you influence um, as a corporate or as a business versus as an individual. Yeah, of course. Um, but it's quite interesting watching the change at the moment where bigger brands are trying to use a more uh, personalised voice on social media, yes, for example. Yep. And some are making some horrendous mistakes. And some of them are, are you know, are winning um, hand, hand over fist with... Uh, uh, you know the fact they've managed to inject personality. Yeah. Oh, what what uh, are the best examples that you've seen of this? Uh, my, one of my favourite, who for years have been doing really well on this, is Oreo the biscuits. Okay, uh, as a, as a brand, they're so cool. They, so they, I love Tesco's. I think Tesco's do it really well as well. Yeah, there's there's lots of examples, and then there are there are some real faux pas as well. Mm. Where people have made uh, horrendous mistakes, which, I'll, for the sake of your podcast and <laughs> I won't necessarily uh, go into detail on. But uh, in fact, I've I, I've done a whole talk on this actually. Um, epic fails of big brands when it comes to social media. Which okay, can you give us a case study without naming names? <laughs> okay, so there is a, uh, a DIY brand okay. um, which uh, had had actually outsourced most of their social engagement to oh, an agency. Dear. 
and there were racist undertones as a corporate really brand. yeah I, I you know wh- whether they were meant or whether it's just one of those many cognitive biases that um, some you know many of us actually have uh, but they dealt with it swiftly in this particular example they they jumped on it straight away but there's some classic stories even HMV in one of their previous incarnations I know they're just about to get mm-hmm. bought again in one of their previous com- uh, connotations they actually fired their marketing department whilst they still had av- had all the access to the social media accounts yeah. and, and very publicly tweeted uh, what was going on as it was going on um, so you know there's, there's just silly mistakes that big brands can make but so the top tip, if you're going to sack everyone, invest in LastPass. <laughs> the top, I think the top tip actually is, um, you know, if you're going to engage, in, particularly in something like social media, it's really important to understand what the authentic tone of voice mm. that you're going to use um, and and also understand that right now your marketplace is probably, most people are dealing with quite a diverse marketplace. So, uh, you know, if they've got multi-demographics uh, that they sell products to or give advice to or what, you know, whatever their, their proposition is, but they use one tone of voice on their social media or one tone of voice in their marketing literature, the chances are they're not talking to everybody. And nowadays you have absolutely got every opportunity to personalize messages for the mm. different niche marketplaces you might operate in. And that's just worthy of consideration. You know, Who are you talking to? Who is your audience? How diverse are they? What's your tone of voice? So do you think there's such a thing as a consistent brand voice anymore? Or do you feel that it should be consistent only so far as the individuals that are contributing towards that bit of content? That's a really good question. I think for bigger brands, they, um, they probably do need to have one consistent, reliable, dependable um, tone of voice. I think for smaller brands, though, where we we're not competing with cash flow, mm. you know, we're not uh, we're not able to chuck money at stuff and 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 build that brand awareness. So uh, most of most small businesses will win business based on rela- relationships yes. and reputation. And so there, I suppose, I suppose it is really about how you can uh, personalise your message and. Mm. And reach your customers. Well, it comes back to that old saying, which I think I, I've heard you say, um, I've heard others say, I've heard myself say on stage, I don't know who said it first, um, but business is no longer B2B or B2C, it's H to H, human to human. Um, I, I've heard you say that before, and I know I know that I said it before you. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I promise. You. So I plagiarise you. Is but, that, is but that you've, the accusation? I don't, I don't think you've ever been in one of my audiences. Okay. So so I don't know. We both ripped off the same person, I guess. Possibly. possibly. Well, do you know what? I, th- I think it's common sense. So we, it really is. We said it, it's common sense. You know, uh, in, in this uh, very rich age we live in, I mean, world population has doubled since 1980. We've got, you know, 7.2 7, 7, to 7.5. I don't know what the exact figures are now billion people on the planet with you know all sorts of um uh rich backgrounds it's about connecting with human beings uh, mm. it's it's funny one of the things i say from stage a lot the word that uh, the word i like using is context context really matters sure um, and most people uh, don't think about context um, so context is, you know, for example, if I'm going to make a, a buying decision on a car, my context could be that I've had a crash and I need a quick replacement. It could be uh, there's another child in the family and I, I need some extra space. It could be um, I'm having a midlife crisis and I want a convertible, whatever. My, there's a context. As a salesperson, if I really truly understand the context of my prospect, I've got a much bigger chance of matching benefits and features and and, and actually personalising my message to them so, so there's a better fit. Um, and I believe that, that kind of 
contextual marketing in a digital point of view uh, is is a term and it has a definition but i think context in communication is probably the most important thing yes and it's actually really difficult if we go back to social media it's sometimes really difficult to understand the context behind 140 or 280 characters um now in safari's god bless the emoji mm. hey Carl. well it, it helps doesn't it it helps unless they're not overused um <laughs> i'm i'm a nightmare for clicking away at the laughing emoji that normally softens the blow with anything but I say. Yeah, not very good for funerals. But No, no. Um, so with social media, what would you say is the key that any listener can take away to help improve their influence over social media? Because you've done it yourself quite naturally and seemingly without much effort. But I imagine there is some science and strategy behind it. Well, do you know, it's quite interesting because if I st- starting a business today with all of the noise that's around is so much more difficult than being at the uh, the beginning of the wave for social media. Sure. Um, you know, we've had time to embed and build followings and uh, and things like that. So, you know, nowadays the people who are getting noticed are the people worthy of getting noticed. Um, you know, they're they're doing something with content, regardless of whether it fits your tastes. Sure, they're, they're doing something worthy with content, which is worthy of sharing, worthy of. Uh, giving a shout out worthy of following and looking looking at what comes next uh, it's quite interesting actually with my book I've got a couple of people who who have connected with me on various platforms but I'll use Instagram as an example and there's one particular chap who read the book you know big fan of the book um, you know it's always commenting on my posts he's got like 35,000 followers on Instagram you know compared to my much smaller <laughs> amount you know so it's all it's all relative it's, yes. it's, where does your audience play how are you going to engage with them and uh, and actually, if you look at his stuff, he's doing some really cool things mm. with photography, which is which is getting him noticed. And there's also a difference um, between the platforms and the way you have to communicate on those individual platforms, even if you're communicating to the same person. Am I right? Sorry, say that again. So there's a difference um, in the way that you need to communicate on each platform, even if you're communicating to the same people. So, for example, how you would communicate, how we might communicate on Facebook, for example, would be different to how we'd communicate with each other on LinkedIn. Yeah, of course. So, so you know, different environments have, uh, although I'm seeing that those lines get blurred now, but different platforms definitely have, uh, are known for different levels of formality. Sure. And it's quite interesting watching how even something like Twitter's changing now. Mm. There's definitely less engagement than there was in, on Twitter, certainly for me. Um, whereas LinkedIn, uh, whilst it's a more professional environment, I am see I am seeing a lot more casual conversations on yes. LinkedIn now, and uh, and because it's primarily of professionals, or, uh, pro- professional people, it doesn't necessarily collect, uh, you know contain relatives and kids and all of those kind of not yet kind of people not yet. No, so, so it's changing. Well, sure, uh, but. But as kids grow up and yeah. you know get jobs, of course. Um, but uh, you know, I would I can definitely conduct myself different on something like Facebook than I ever would on LinkedIn. Yes, I've got. I've, in fact, I've got more permission to be professional and to talk business on LinkedIn, whereas on Facebook, I've always got one. Um, one part of my mind on the fact that I know I'm going to have family members going, who does he think he is? Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've. Um, I, I guess we both had those fears. Yes. Well, you know, it's it's just about um, you know consideration. I, I it does make me um, it does make me it does baffle me that some people hidden behind a monitor on the internet, you know, somewhere else on the internet, 
say things that they wouldn't necessarily say if staring into the whites of somebody's eyes. I've seen people destroy their own businesses because yeah. of things that they've said online um, without just giving it that little bit of consideration. Who's likely to see this? How's it going to impact my 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 job? You know, mm. um, In the early days of social media, the amount of people that um, talked on things like Facebook that they were taking days off to watch the World Cup for throwing a sickie, yep. um, you know, forgetting they were connected to colleagues. You know, it's just it, all of these little things. If you really want to have a winning strategy as a small business or large business, put a bit of consideration into some of your thoughts. I, 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 I think it, it really shows just how prevalent social media is in all of our communications. But if we think of um, Ratner, you know, Gerald Ratner, the Ratner moment was a quote that he gave to a journalist Nowadays, the next Ratner moment will probably come on social media after a bottle of wine. Oh, they actually happen all the time. Um, even people like Elon Musk isn't... Um, uh, oh, he's isn't dangerous, honest. isn't he? He's dangerous <laughs> with it. I mean, the, the comment he made, which is ending up in uh, in a legal battle with the dive, the diver... Yeah, would, which we know, won't give, mention. Which we won't mention. But, uh, but you know, the, these faux pas can happen no matter who you are. Sure. Um, so it's just about giving a bit of due consideration. Um, I'm, I'm, it's, you know, the, in that particular example... There will or will not be some very specific consequences, um, but I always worry about things like reputational damage too. Um, you know, if you're if you're again if you're dealing with a diverse uh, audience, the more opinionated you are, the more you polarise, and the chances are you're going to either really define your audience quite well, um, because you know you'll lose some along the way. Um, uh, or, or you will actually, you know, lose a chunk of your audience, which are important to you. So it really it just give give it a bit of care and attention. Fantastic. And there's so much we can go through. I think the last thing on social media, if that's OK, is social media influencers. Obviously, borrowing the word influence. What, what's your take on social media influencers? Do you know, what? I, I think fair play to them. Make hay while the sun shines. Yes. I'm not so sure um, people are going to be able to get away with, uh, you know, what they've done so far. Sure. Because I think we're going to start, you know, attention is such a fiercely competed for commodity nowadays. I think that, uh, you know, people are going to have to do more and, and, and certainly evolve their content if they want to keep their audience. But it fascinates me that in the, U, in the UK alone, we've got the uh, highest earning influence on YouTube who was uh, somebody who worked for Tesco's and was was just recording himself playing video games. I think last wow. year he made about 19 million uh, wow. through YouTube and through sort of direct sponsorships. And he's got a very defined audience. He, he, he was doing uh, video games for children between sort of 7 and 11, something like that. <laughs> and they were, they were addicted to watching him. And do you know, at the age of 14, we could have both done that and made millions. You know, absolutely. Joe, I've, got a, I've, got, I've got a couple of friends and they were, they were a, a married both solicitors, and uh, the the husband has given up his uh, law career because he's making more money now from gaming than he ever did as a lawyer. And what's quite funny, um, I hope they don't listen to this, but what's quite funny is the uh, she is kind of embarrassed to introduce him at dinner parties. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, they're in legal circles, etc., etc. Sure. He's a professional gamer. You Fantastic. Know, there's, there's so many ways to actually make a crust today, isn't there? And... Uh, and so you know, as far as influencers concerned, fair play to them. You know, if you've if you've uh, if you've created some some demand, and um, people want your content, then it doesn't surprise me at all that bigger brands want to piggyback that and find ambassadors, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to uh, to uh, show their wares. Uh, 
more and more so nowadays so there's call for for those commercial bits of content to be declared up front sure and i think that's a good way to go i think so i mean the um hashtag ad seems uh, it 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 doesn't seem perfect but it's at least a way of giving that differentiation which is nice to see um i want to know now Warren, on to your personal influence journey um so that's to look at um certainly writing a book and speaking and really to understand first of all a bit of that story how that developed for you and then any tips you can give to any other business owners that want to go down that path so how did you get started on stage oh good question so um in the 90s i was uh, running a, an it business and uh, one uh, particular client had a, a, a quite a large it conference coming to the end of 90s early 2000s and I was asked to MC the event for the day, okay. which was completely out of my comfort zone. In fact, I was filled with dread yes. at the thought of doing it. Um, but I realized I'd actually been really comfortable and hadn't challenged myself for quite mm. some time. So I chose to do it. And uh, it was an adrenaline packed day. It's a tricky skill, isn't it, it MCing? Oh, well, harder than speaking, actually. It is, do you know, one of my first um, speaking opportunities was an MCing slot as well. And I've got a very embarrassing story about it as well. Would you like me to share? Yeah, go on. You first. Okay. <laughs> Have you got one as well? I've then? always got embarrassing stories. Fantastic. Um, so I was asked to um, MC a friend's event and I had to introduce various speakers. Now, these are speakers that I, I had never met in my life. I didn't really know who they were, um, but I knew of them. So I was speaking to each of them beforehand and thinking, do you know what? I'm actually going to speak to each of them a couple of minutes, get to know who they are and how they would like me to present them. One lady said to me, um, I want you to present me as Britain's next top model. And she was joking. But me, with the lack of connection between ears and mouth, yeah, there's no brain in there. I got up and said, well, this lady thinks she's Britain's next top model. <laughs> it sounded funny in my mind. When it came out, I wanted the floor to open up. So come on, your story can't be that bad. Well, I'll tell the... the I've heard far worse stories <laughs> really? from speakers on stage, actually. In fact, I've witnessed a couple myself. I'm not so sure if this is a family-friendly podcast, whether I should tell <laughs> one of them. Uh, in fact, I might. I just won't go into any graphic detail. Um, but uh, so but for me, the, the kind of introduction to standing up on stage happened as a, an MC, and I really enjoyed the day. I got a real buzz from it. And... And actually, what you kind of find, you find out things about yourself you didn't know when it comes to communication. So there's a, you know, things like um, the the witty um, interceptions and the, the kind of banter you might have with speakers. Yes, yeah, so a bit that I got wrong. <laughs> in this particular example, but I think it comes also with practice. Yes. I befriended a, a lovely chap by the name of Jim Cronin, who was a mentor for me for many years. Um, he was the the motivational speaker of, on that particular event. And, uh, and I kept the relationship with him afterwards, and I was kind of fascinated by the stuff he did. Um, anyway, fast forward a little bit. Um, after uh, the IT business was sold and, and, and I'd moved on, I started an event management business. And that kind of morphed into a networking business, so bringing small business owners together all across the UK. We were doing, at, at our peak, I think about 100 events uh, uh, a year sure. uh, in 10 different cities across the UK, bringing, bringing people together. And in the early days of that, a dear friend of mine from Bristol said to me, I'd really be interested as a, as a newbie to networking um, if you would come and do a talk to my experienced networking audience about your observations as a newbie. Okay. 
So uh, I had a couple of days' notice to stand up and talk, and I and I talked for about I don't know twenty thirty minutes, uh, and made it quite fun, and had you know quite a lot of, quite a lot of questions afterwards, and I, I very quickly realised actually that even though these were experienced networkers, they were learning something. So just the art of, uh, um, or just the discipline of, of putting a bit of research into whether whether you're writing a blog, whether you're writing a book, or whether you're writing a talk, you deepen your knowledge. And that was a real early lesson for me, was investing time into creating content, you deepen your own knowledge. Sure. Um, but on that particular um, event, what surprised me is I had a couple of people come up, approach me, and ask me to speak at their events. So that one favor, which was a newbie giving an insight, suddenly resulted in two yeah. two gigs and uh, of course then this the kind of speaking career uh, went on from there um and of course you know the, the more you tread the boards the more you learn the lessons of preparation and yes you know, uh, and what's good and what isn't and we you know we're 15 years on now in a professional speaking career which uh, which I wouldn't swap for anything. I'm no, really, and really everybody has their own tricks of a trade that they use. But, you know, if I was to tell you the way I'd prepare, it probably wouldn't help you and vice versa. Sure. And, yeah, and it's quite interesting looking at people at the beginning part of their journey because, you know, the more the more experienced we are, uh, the less we... Uh, the, the less we apprehensive we are about getting on stage. Mm. But I, I, I do remember... Uh, um, uh, something I, I was once told, I said, do you still get nervous to somebody? And they said, uh, you know, like you, I still get butterflies, but mine beautifully fly in formation now. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, <laughs> a bit cheesy, but I, but I but I liked it and have stolen it and used, used it ever since. But I will tell you the one embarrassing story. It wasn't me, it was uh, somebody else. I was on Next, uh, so it was the speaker before me, and it was an event in Scotland. And the topic was a social media topic. It was about 10 years ago. Okay. And uh, the speaker uh, was doing something on um, early LinkedIn back then. And an audience question uh, prompted him to say, look, I'll do a live demonstration. So oh, he, no. Okay. He switched, switched away from his PowerPoint. He opened up his browser. And, of course, what came up was all of his browser history in front of a room full of about 80 oh, people. No. And you can use your imagination. I don't need to say anything mm. very specific. But... Uh, every single jaw dropped. Who knew there was such variety? <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> you see, we we all um, on a speaking career, we all build up a, a track record of problems and so on. Thankfully, that's not been one for me. No. <laughs> I've I, I've had the stage on fire. I've had all oh, sorts, well. but not that. That's yes. Quite dramatic. So um, it was about this time last year. Um, I had my bag and coat, dumped it behind the stage. Little did I know there was light bulbs behind the stage to light it up. Oh, you were the culprit? I was the culprit. Oh, wow. I was the culprit. I um, Now, I, I have a little trick that I use, um, which I, you know, we all have tricks of how to either warm up the room or warm ourselves up. And this works for both, I like to believe. I always like to go up and meet and greet the front row, um, say hello to them, get to know them, try to understand what it is they want to hear from me. Anyway, I was having a chat with somebody in the front row and all of a sudden I saw a lady dart onto the stage. My first my first thought was, she's going to nick my bag. Yeah, the, the prime instinct of, she's going to nick my bag, rather than, this is a conference hall, it's, good, it's all okay. So I turned around and saw this smoke coming up. Bear in mind, this was five minutes before I was about to go live. Wow. So it happens. The worst happen. Um, come on, what's, what's the worst that's happened to you on stage? The worst that's happened to me? Uh, so I th- I, in the early days, I, I, um, had, I've had technology issues. I've, I've, I must admit, I'm touching wood now. I'm not, not that I'm superstitious, but I've had uh, a fairly easy uh, ride yeah. of it. So I've, I've not really had anything major 
Um, but I have once or twice had uh, in the early days technology problems, mm. and uh, and when they happen, you really have to know your stuff and be able to still captivate an audience without yes. visuals. Um, so that's happened, I think, twice in fifteen years. Yeah. Um, but uh, you probably also have a collection of cables and spare charges and all sorts. So yeah. that, that's what actually then happens is you learn to turn up early. You learn. In fact, you know, for anybody that's organising an event who might be listening to this, uh, it's a, it can be a stressful thing. You're herding cats. Typically, you've got audience and delegates to consider uh, how you get them into the room at the right times. You've got speakers. You want things to go on on time to clockwork. You've got to coordinate with the venue for lunch and breaks, etc. They've got enough on their plate to not have to worry about individual speakers yes and where they're going to turn up and be prepared so as a little rule I everywhere I walk now I've got two or three presentations on a memory st- memory stick and I'm ready to go and and that has that's actually um, paid off several times it paid off past. a business show for you once didn't it <clears throat> well actually funnily enough at the business show once um, I was uh, on the main stage uh, and I'd finished my talk mm. in the morning and then I'd, I'd gone back to uh, my stand uh, and I was working with my team on the stand and I had somebody come up to me in a, a real rush, say, Warren, can you cover a slot on the main stage? Which, you know, I kind of assumed was later in the day or, yes. or tomorrow. Um, can it be different content was the other kind of criteria. I said, yeah, actually, I've got an, another talk on my on my, uh, on my memory card here, no problem. And they, I said, when, when do you need me? He said, five minutes ago. <laughs> and so I literally dropped what I was doing on the stand, walked to the main stage where there was probably 100 plus people yep. sat in the audience waiting. As I walked on, the, the memory stick was given to the uh, the sound engineer who, who then went off to do his thing. I went up and whilst I was explaining uh, why I was there instead of the guy off the telly, um, uh, the presentation was loaded and then, of course, I launched straight into presentation. And if you know your material and you're always that mm. prepared, you you can always add that kind of safety net for yes. event organisers. but it's always one off the telly, isn't it? Well, I, know, I know from, from my speaking, it's you look at the keynote roster... You know the one off the telly is not going to turn up. I do know that there is a tweet out there. I, um, I would have to go and search for it to find it, but somebody tweeted um, that beautiful moment when the guy off the telly didn't show up and Warren Cass stood up and gave a masterclass. And I always remember that. It was a, re- it was a, really, nice, um, a really nice tweet to receive. But, you know, just there's just that little trick of having content in your pocket at all times. I've, I've turned up at events where I wasn't meant to be speaking and a speaker didn't show, mm. um, so I've stood in. Uh, and of course, then you get the the you know all the value and benefit of profile on the day if the audience is right for you. Um, uh, I've been a speaker at an event where again a speaker hasn't shown, so I've done a, an alternate talk. Sure. Um, so it's just it's just that that being prepared creates opportunities for you. Uh, fortune favors a prepared mind, I think is the quote. Absolutely, and that preparation, you know, um, undoubtedly part of it comes from your research for your book. So tell us more about the book, how that came about and how that's helped you build your personal influence as well. So I I resisted writing a book, I must admit, for quite some time. I had a couple of publishers approach me um, because they'd heard me speak and saw that I had a a different take on uh, on a couple of the subjects I talk about. And um, uh, they did a really good job of stroking my ego, which was (laughs) one good way of getting somebody to write. But actually, uh, when I gave it some thought, coming back to the earlier uh, points around you know, Carnegie and Cialdini and their, their masterpiece books, um, and that whole point that, that we have had a digital revolution since those books were written, and there is a, you know, those same old lessons um, are equally as relevant to the younger generations that have come through since and may not have read them, but mm. recontextualized for a digital age. So I thought, you know what, I have got something to add here. I, I, will, I will do the book. And I had a couple of different publishers. But the um, 
the book has been very successful. I'm very thankful for that. But the 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 key learnings that I got when you sit down and write a book, in the same way as I said earlier on about writing content or preparing a talk, when you sit down to write a book, uh, the amount of research that you have to do in order to really back up your points uh, really deepens your knowledge. So just the simple act of researching for a book has made me a better speaker. I've got far more material to draw upon now. Uh, in fact, I've got a couple of uh, keynotes very specifically within areas of influence, which I can draw upon at any, any one time. Um, so I recommend anybody, uh, if, they've, if you feel like you've got a book in you, um, it will do wonders for your authority within your marketplace, but it will deepen your knowledge anyway. And I recommend you go and find a way of getting it out of you and give birth to it. Fantastic. And it doesn't need to just be an expensive business card as you've sold 18,000. Yeah, about that. Um, it doesn't need to be just a, a, an expensive business card, no. Uh, however, I would always say, um, have a think about the objective of a book if you're going to write it. You know, what, what's its purpose? What, what are you looking to achieve from it? Um, and that's uh, that's a really uh, important thing to think about up front. Sure. Fantastic. So, Roman, we're going to dive into some rapid-fire questions, okay. and then we'll touch on where the listeners can get hold of you afterwards. So we'll start with asking you about a mastermind group if you were to set up your own mastermind group with three other people and they can be dead or alive fictional non-fictional who would you choose well so you're asking somebody who who is actually in the mastermind business um uh, and not only do i run a couple but i've got a very brilliant mastermind group that i right now wouldn't swap for the world because they're all superb people who hold me to account and really give me some (laughs) insights but i'll play if you can play Uh, along because we know you'd have your own I'll, i'll play so with um uh three or four people if i could invite right now um I'm not so sure I would do this purely on business. Uh, so uh, the late, great Christopher Hitchens okay. uh, would be one of my choices, who unfortunately passed away in 2012, but he was a fierce intellect and a uh, brilliant orator and and somebody who had a couple of niche topics that he spoke or, spoke around the world on, but, uh, but uh, greatly admired his intellect and his, how articulate he was when he stood up in front of an audience. Um, so uh, Christopher Hitchens, um, actually a dear friend of his is Stephen Fry, who's somebody sure. I'd love to hang out with um, and uh, would learn, I'm sure, loads from. I'm a big fan of Branson because Branson understands, first of all, how important relationships are. And there's a whole load of stories about uh, how he treats his people. But he also understands his limitation yes. as a manager. So he, he brings the right people in to run his businesses and he understands the role he plays within those businesses. So... Um, and I greatly admire. You know, sure. There's there's three off the top of my head. Perfect, perfect. And uh, now in terms of books, you know, I'm, I'm certainly a big fan of books, and um, I try to absorb as much information as I can. Can you tell me, apart from your own book, what is the book that you've recommended to the most people? Oh, uh, without a shadow of doubt, um, the one that's had the most impact on me because I read it when I was 17 years old was Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Okay. And in fact, funny enough, we've just talked masterminds. There's a whole chapter in there of our masterminds, which is, you know, what framed my thinking from that young age. Um, but it's uh, I, I know that the title uh, doesn't do it justice because nowadays some people might be turned off by the title, mm. but it really was an instructional manual around how to go and take your life into your own hands and influence it. Your, uh, and take life control. That you want. Yes. And influence the life you want. And uh, I'd, I'd love to see that reimagined for today. But, um, but well, it kind of was with the secret, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, but again, I, 
so the secret has got um, some brilliant points in there, and it's about because for me, I translate that as keep in front of mind the things that you're looking for in life. Yes. You're more likely to spot them. Yeah. You know, opportunity dances with those already on the dance floor. But the problem with the secret is some people took that too far. Yes, uh, and uh, and that's where it kind of lost credibility. And I, yeah, this is actually coming back to the social media conversation we've had today. The problem with social media today is the loudest opinions tend to be the most extreme. So opinions on both the extreme left and right are the ones which uh, suddenly become mainstream or the ones that are considered to be representative of the left or the right. Mm. And I've always thought common sense lives somewhere in the middle. Yes. Um, but, uh, but you know... Hey, you won't find it on Twitter. No, <laughs> this, is the, this is the age that we live in. But that's the one I've, I've recommended the most. But different, different books have meant different things for different reasons. Sure. Okay. Um, in terms of how you relax, what, what's your favourite thing to do to get away from business and the pressures of work? Um, so uh, I play uh, golf really badly, I play guitar really badly, and I ski really badly. Okay. <laughs> but then my fr- <laughs> do you do anything well? <laughs> uh, that's all uh, subjective and down to other people's opinions. Write books and speak, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. Um, what's one thing that other people don't know about you? Ooh. Your one hidden secret. Not that one. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have a I have a I have a dirty secret actually. Uh, my my guilty secret is that um, uh, many many years ago, um, I think it must have been around about two thousand and three, something like that. Maybe even earlier. I was bought an Xbox for my birthday. Okay. And uh, that following year, I lost days and days and days throughout the year playing online uh, gaming with the Xbox and it's still my guilty secret I, really I, it is uh, although I've got to say things are so busy at the moment I don't think I've turned it on for about five months yeah um, but um, but I have a, a clan uh, which I play with fantastic um, based in you know some of them in different countries but actually in the UK there's great representation from uh, from the Scottish and the Welsh too yes and what was interesting last year I, I, I was booked to do a five-city tour for a corporate client for the kind of wealth management industry. Sure. And uh, one of the one of the talks was in Glasgow, which enabled me to actually have a really good fun night out with my my clan from Excellent. from Scotland, and we had a really great night out. And it doesn't matter how you connect; it's just important to connect with yes, people. Yes, uh, But that's my guilty secret. Fantastic. And the last one: what's the best purchase you've made recently for around fifty quid? Best purchase I've made. Apart from our lunch earlier, no, of course. So it, it wasn't 50 quid, um, uh, but this will just make probably one or two people laugh. Uh, I, every year I run a skiing trip for business owners, sure. and we have a, a whole load of people that come along, um, different entrepreneurs, different types of businesses. But uh, typically the model is that we take over a, a big chalet hotel and people share rooms. And I was sharing with a, a, a dear friend of mine, Barnaby Winter, who runs um, a company called The Brand Bucket in Kent, and uh, and I've shared with him for the last couple of years because we <clears throat> we just get on great so and you know have so much banter. And uh, this year, uh, because I was a little bit heavier than previous years, the the comment was on my snoring. And so I went into a, a French pharmacist, 
and I got this little plastic device which goes up my nose. And okay. It's, it's meant that I can breathe properly. I've had I've slept so well in the last two weeks, but the snoring is almost all but eliminated. Really? So it's it was game a, changing. It was seventeen euros for a little plastic device. And I'm going to say that was my best purchase. Fantastic. So the quality of life impact for seventeen euros for a better night's sleep. Phenomenal. Warren, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I would like to let the listeners know where they can find you. So um, what are your social media handles? Uh, at Warren Cass. Excellent. Um, no spaces, dots or underscores, just Warren Cass, C-A-S-S for sugar. Um, and my website is www.warrencast.com. Fantastic. His book, Influence, is available at all good booksellers, including WH Smith's. He's normally up there somewhere at the top of the charts. And lastly, for the listeners to get hold of you, what's your gamer tag? Wazakas. <laughs> Wazakas. Excellent. Warren. And, and Call of Duty for anybody who's interested. <laughs> Warren, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Carl. Thank you for listening to The Carl Reader Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell your friends. This podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, DT Advisory helping you unlock the magic in your business by adding value, not numbers. Find out more at www.team-dt.com. QuickBooks, helping UK small businesses stay on top of their finances.